she didn't do nothing. What is it? I have something I gotta tell you. I didn't just happen to be at that theater. I was paid to be there. <laughs> you were paid to be there. What are you? Theater checker? You get paid to check up on the uh, box office girls, make sure they're not ripping the place off. I'm not a theater checker. I'm a call girl. You're a whore? No, I'm a call girl, and there's a difference, you know. Okay, here it goes. You know the place you took me to last night? The place you work? Heroes for sale? You got a boss, right? Yeah. Okay, what's his name? Lance. That's him. He called the place where I work. He ordered a girl for you. He said he wanted you to get laid, seeing you didn't get out much and it was your birthday and all. He wanted me to act like I just showed up. Now, how did he know you were going to be at that theater? Uh, well, I, I go to the movies every year on my birthday. In fact, he called me up this week to find out what my birthday movie was going to be. You're not mad? No, oh, man. can't tell you. That was one of the best times I ever had. It was. You know, I knew something must be rotten in Denmark. There was no way you could like me that much. I mean, I can't tell you how relieved I was when you took off your dress. You, you didn't have a dick. Stop being so fucking calm about all this. Go look in your house. There's a note on your TV, and all it says is Dear Clarence, because I couldn't write anymore. So I just said, Alabama, come clean. And just tell him what's what. And if he tells you to go back to Drexel and fuck yourself, then go back to Drexel and fuck yourself. Drexel, what's what's the Drexel? Please shut up. I'm trying to come clean, okay? I've been a call girl for exactly four days, and you're my third customer. I want you to know that I'm not damaged goods. I'm not what they call in Florida white trash. I'm a really good person. And when it comes to relationships, I'm 100%. I'm 100% monogamous. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? My fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever, a show that some are calling a meditative poem oh, about no. the enormity of time. In podcast form, I'm Zach. I'm Matt, and this is episode number 63, True Romance. So it feels like it's been a while since we've recorded an episode. What are you talking about? We just posted one yesterday. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Moving on. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the listeners at this point should know about the Twitter already. They should know that we're on iTunes. And they should know that we need those subscriptions. <laughs> <laughs> and if they're not subscribed, yeah. they're probably not hearing this. It's for a certainly not of a very supportive fan base, I would say. <laughs> People, I mean, come on. I know that like our audience probably skews a little bit older, 
in the sense that the audience probably skews a little bit older in the sense that define like, older like older than 25 okay yeah like we're not in that generation where all they know is their phone we're still of people that like came into their phone at some point in their right teenage years or later or whatever yes. so you know they're not dialed in to like podcasting as much no they don't have the app on their phone and have like, into, like 78 podcasts that they listen to trying on a weekly to basis. post uh, funny away messages for aim <laughs> it's that generation douchebags yeah basically <laughs> ass clowns <laughs> yeah so, our own what i was just saying our own you oh know, yeah our own kind you know i'd like to take this moment to say if you like the show please subscribe and tell a friend and give us a rating and review on itunes and really you know get a viral thing going create memes (laughs) (laughs) i don't i I don't know what that is yeah uh yeah maybe not memes but i still like the idea of some fan art inspired by the show (laughs) yeah i think i love like our little like logo icon but i would be up for somebody to draw us a new one yeah we're definitely i'm open to submissions i really you know we haven't talked about the stickers in a while but (laughs) (laughs) how are those stickers yeah i still have a lot of them although i have a lot that are promised to people that i'm holding for you don't worry (laughs) sometime when i see you you'll get it (sighs) so if you're not already you should be watching Twin Peaks, The Return, The Revival. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I love it, but... We gotta get the word out there. Yeah. We gotta help it. So, True Romance. It's about time that we entered the Tarantino world, Yeah, it seems ridiculous that we... I mean, Jackie Brown almost ended the show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's only... So many things you can say about yeah. Pam Greer. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, we still might need to revisit that at some point. <laughs> Maybe just like the Pam Greer career. Oh, we'll, be, we'll be getting to some Pam Greer. Yeah, you own enough of the movies. But for me, uh, True Romance was a film that I did not see until they finally issued it on DVD in that like cool special edition right. that was like in a nice little box thing the same way as like Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown were. Yeah. And so same by the way, I didn't really know much about it. Um, I just thought, Oh, well like I'm buying DVDs all of a sudden. This was probably like 2002 or three or something. And this one looks cool. I don't even know if I realized that Tarantino I didn't, wrote it. I didn't when know I that was when like I buying it. it. I was just like, I'm going to blind buy this. Not really knowing much about it. Uh, my friend Travis told me about it because he was just telling me about Brad Pitt in it, basically. He was like, you should watch True Romance. Brad Pitt plays this like ridiculous <laughs> character. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the cast of the film is insane and something that, you know, is... This is one of those movies, not Social Network, where you look back and you're like, holy <laughs> shit, I can't believe this many people were in this movie together. Yeah, it's kind of an odd thing when, like, the two leads of the film... Are the least recognizable. ...became, like, exponentially less famous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Patricia Arquette did win an Oscar fairly recently, but... Oh, yeah, that's true, but, I mean... Yeah. Her I mean, career is forgettable at best. I mean, some women like to make the choice to have a family, Matt. 
Yeah, and that's I a don't know why that's such certainly. a problem yeah. for you. No, I mean I'm lashing against Hollywood for not continuing to cast her and things. Lashing against Hollywood, like you're not a part of the elite <laughs> scumbags <laughs> yeah. who force women to choose between. Uh, scumbag, their I would agree with elite, family. not so much. <laughs> but it's a film that, upon viewing it for the first time, I think definitely became one of my favorites pretty quickly and one of the more it it kind of fits like it has like that kind of polished hollywood feel that like early tarantino didn't quite have yet and still kind of fights against but it fits right alongside those first you know three tarantino films Yeah, you can certainly i mean you can tell it's not quentin tarantino directing it it certainly has a little bit yeah more of a hollywood feel than and not as much on the uh, artsy side, but I will say uh, now that we're doing this, and I know we'll certainly because this very much feels like a movie of great scenes, like a bunch of great scenes. But now that we've gotten to this, it's we've basically it's it's the Christopher Walken Dennis Hopper scene from this, and the Alfred Molina scene from Boogie Nights that are like <laughs> <laughs> you know up there for. Two of my all-time favorites. I mean, they, they, they contend for number one. Yeah, um, and we will certainly certainly get to that <laughs> yeah. scene because there's a lot to kind of yeah. deconstruct there, right. if you will. To unpack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love listening to like these podcasts that are kind of in the sim, you know, same style as ours, except, you know, if maybe... Way like, douchier. <laughs> well, the one I listened to most recently is kind of going through all these new Twin Peaks episodes. And they do, of course, have a lot of things, a lot of phraseology that can get very uh, <laughs> annoyingly douchey after the third <laughs> or fourth time hearing it yeah. <laughs> unpack. Right. Anyway, so let's get into uh, True Romance. Um, for me, the older I get and then rewatching this film, kind of more with a... As the kids would say, woke perspective. Oh. <laughs> Phraseology. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> many would say that I'm probably not woke in a lot of <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like you kind of right. in this more modern perspective, like going back and watching uh, this film, it, it becomes more and more ridiculous every time. I think just graduating high school and entering college seeing it for the first time i was i think i was a lot more accepting of a lot of the things that now you're just like seriously like this girl is a prostitute and she <laughs> falls in love with this guy after one night right and of conveniently he's like only her third or fourth john to this point it's like pretty woman yeah i mean it's just like it, it it's such a you know male driven fairy tale of a story that's just completely unbelievable and ridiculous at every turn (laughs) but more so than like the fact that she would be so into him (laughs) i know he's a loser like (laughs) he works at a comic book store he's obsessed with uh kung fu movies like he reminds me of myself like this yeah and i think that's the point like a lot of the film nerdy kind of guys that would be into this movie would be like in some way, like granted, in '93 when the film came out, comic books weren't as mainstream as they are now, obviously. But even if you didn't like comic books or you didn't like those specific kind of movies, the fandom, the geekdom of Christian Slater's uh, character Clarence, right? That's his name. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, you know, you can put your own 
geekiness onto that pretty easily. Like, it doesn't have to match exactly. Like, oh, right. I, maybe I don't know a lot about Spider-Man and Kung Fu, but I like, you know, in 93, it's like, oh, I like Twin Peaks and, uh, I don't know, uh, Scorsese movies a lot. Although Scorsese is fairly mainstream. But you get what I mean. Like, right. you know, whatever it is. And it's like, man, I really wish some beautiful, sexy sexually experienced but not too much of a slut woman <laughs> would just fall into my lap one and night and just be so into whatever you you throw out there. Yeah, and I mean I must say like Clarence is somewhat charming. I mean he's not like a total like no, weirdo he's not, like, or anything. Slobbering all over himself. He's just kind of like a regular guy who kind of we get the sense that, like, based off of the reason why his boss hires the call girl in the first place is that, you know, maybe he's a little shy around women or he has a little trouble with women or whatever. But he's not, like, obviously he's Christian Slater. Thing. He's not, like, he should terrible looking or anything. <laughs> I mean, he shouldn't have good luck with women. He works at a comic book store. and I mean, Seemingly part-time yeah. or something. Although somehow has, like, a big apartment in a city. Yeah. Well, that's part of the fairy tale. I mean, it's right. just so unbelievable, yeah. the circumstances of this. He's and living on his own. We know a, he doesn't come from money because we see where his dad lives. <laughs> his dad lives in a trailer by, Down like, by the river. The river and some train tracks. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty bleak scene. Not unlike our own situation. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they. It, but, you know, obviously he doesn't know at first that she's a call girl. She, she shows up at this... Uh, kung fu movie marathon that he goes to dumps her popcorn all over him yeah like he goes to this every year on his birthday it's set up where she's gonna pretend that she's at the movie on her own and like strike up a conversation and you know she's very good at this because she's a call girl i guess and you know they hit it off and then they go get pie after the movie to talk about the movie and one thing leads to another, and they go back to his place and have sex, and then he wakes up in the middle of the night to find her like <laughs> out the window like on a billboard, which is a, a pretty like cool thing that doesn't really seem to exist much in real life. But it's happens, like, yeah, in film and TV. Yeah, it's like you just have this cool place to go sit outside of a window or whatever, or it's like, you know how like in the... like. 80s like all the lofts in new york were always like settings for places and you're like how do these people afford this oh, this is insane right. or whatever you're like these just extraordinary living places that just seem unbelievable so all right so that we covered like a fair amount there there might be a few things to go back and unpack oh i'd like <laughs> to say i mean i had a new experience with this movie because the first time that i've watched it since i saw badlands and the movie's book ended with basically what seemingly is just like a straight reference to Badlands because it's got that music playing and she's doing like a voiceover that's very similar narration to Sissy Spacek from Badlands. Yeah, the score is essentially the same. Um, I think it was like re-recorded. I don't think it was actually the same right. thing, but like... Because I think Hans, Hans Zimmer, Zimmer yeah. did this, but like, yeah, it's basically it's lifted from Badlands. Music, yeah. And the narration definitely calls back to uh, Sissy Spacek from uh, Terrence Malick's film, which we talked about a few episodes ago, and you should go back and check it out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that's number one. And number two, uh, in the diner scene before they go back to his place, 
uh, he asks her what her turnoffs are, and she says Persians, <laughs> which is slightly right problematic in 2017 yeah, to just be so blatantly s- racist. Right, not a super PC movie, and we'll certainly get to more of that. Yeah, I mean, I guess on, uh, Patricia Arquette was like really uncomfortable with that and would say like a different race and ethnicity like every time they did a take so oh, that really? she wouldn't just single out like one group or something <laughs> but i wonder what it <laughs> said in the script outtakes. i'm guessing yeah. persians <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly the actual sex scene is so 80s it's over dramatic well you can tell this is the director of top gun yeah it's, it's a very like, you could it's like take my breath away hits and <laughs> just slowly go down to the bed and there's basically a part where she is like licking his fucking Harry navel like happy trail or whatever yeah. you want to call it between right. <laughs> between the belly button yeah, and the pretty pubes disturbing actually <laughs> and so he finds her crying and she confesses to being a call girl and this is where he's just kind of like not really taken aback by this no it's <laughs> shocking to the audience though i would say and She's and he's like, well, what are you crying about? I don't understand. And she basically confesses to being in love with him already. Right. And so no they immediately get here. married. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, well, good enough for me. Like, <laughs> this sounds like a good idea. I didn't really have anything else going on, uh, which is true. I mean, they are kind of, you know, briefly like living the dream. The amount of fast food that they seem to eat. <laughs> <laughs> well. I de- and I definitely think this is something that uh, Tarantino or, you know, his writing partner at the time who got no credit for this, Roger Avery, and, you know, several other, like, maybe indie people uh, in that time period and throughout the years probably like to embrace, which is, like, you get you set up these situations, and in the film, or in a film, it's more fun to just kind of say fuck it and take this wild ride and like the adventure and like the path not chosen type thing because like in real life obviously i think regular people have these opportunities to make really crazy decisions and 99 percent of people never do them and out of that one percent that does do them they end badly most of the time 99 percent out of that one percent it ends poorly but then like this these movies like true romance for example are like well let's you know let's just do something crazy because it feels right in this moment and you know fuck tomorrow right kind of thing i think like you know not this movie in particular but a lot of movies could just end with the main character being like i can't do that i have a lease (laughs) you know (laughs) it's like well it's unclear exactly what their long-term plan is to this point like when we're at this point in the film, like what are they thinking beyond the moment? Right. Is he just going to go back to working at the comic book store? Is she's going to probably have to find another job? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how open he is. It seems like he was barely able to s- support himself on, on that salary. I, I don't know. So, I mean. He seems like he's living a very stress-free life. He's not sweating the bills or anything. So now I will say this too. We kind of, and we always do this thing where we like go back, but like in the very beginning, he's like kind of picking up a different girl at the bar or yeah. Attempting to. Yeah. And she's like digging him until he's like, yeah, I'm about to go to this Kung Fu marathon or whatever. Yeah. 
that, that obviously like Alabama, who we never I don't know if oh, we yeah. said that was her name. Patricia Arquette. She is like the antithesis of what nerds like Tarantino perceived like a lot of the unattainable women to be. Like she's the opposite of those women, the ones that would reject them. And in this scenario, whether it be because it's a movie or because Christian Slater is a good-looking guy or whatever the situation is, they want to make it a point in that scene that she's rejecting him because of his fandoms for these things, his geekiness. Not, I don't like kung fu movies. Yeah, not because of the way he looks, not even because of his personality because, you know, he seems pretty outgoing and she's, she's charismatic. Like, she's he's Yeah, I mean, he's getting a good, like, back and forth going with her. Yeah, and so we're supposed to see Alabama as like she's really sexy and she's funny and she knows how to talk about these things, but she also like likes things too and is seemingly embracing even the things that she's not, you know, super keen on, but like she's willing right. to like go with the flow as far as like the things he likes. Now, I mean, granted in 2017 under like you know kind of the new like feminist eyes that everything's being viewed under this could be potentially perceived as like well she's just going along with what he likes but i don't actually what see that all that the like something pixie there was some like term that was developed for like female characters that only exist basically to like make the male character happy Right, and you could definitely point to like a recent film like Baby Driver. Oh yeah, as like a pretty prime example of a female character having really nothing to do and no backstory and really just existing solely to support the male's male character's story. That's not, and that based on what I was saying leading up to describing Alabama, that might be what somebody who hadn't seen the film would think. But I actually think Alabama is a pretty well defined character in her own right oh yeah she's supportive in a way that like makes sense and is real and you would be in love with this girl right and, and she, she gets some like good scenes on her own too well I yeah mean, yeah she's a badass in that Gandolfini <laughs> scene <laughs> well yeah and i mean i'm just saying like her being receptive to his interests is not at the sake of her own you know what i mean right. like her own aren't being like diminished in any way she's just being like a fun normal person yeah the term is manic pixie dream girl yeah which i think in a way alabama is kind of like a version of that that goes beyond what that is defining as a limited thing like yeah she is that in a sense because this is like this weird fairy tale where like why would this ever happen but like she becomes her own character fairly quickly in my opinion like Uh, she's very uh people pointing to uh kirsten dunst and elizabeth town and natalie portman in garden state as the examples uh the girl from paper towns (laughs) although yeah some of those are a stretch yeah which girl from paper towns the The, main one yeah margo yeah that seems like a bizarre yeah i don't know this is just the wikipedia on it yeah, get off that. Um, <laughs> I mean, sometimes, sometimes. I mean, I get that. Like, we can critically analyze and discuss films, but it's like sometimes it's just like just Enough. enjoy the movie. <laughs> and if you don't like it, you don't like it, and write your own fucking movie. <laughs> like, I don't understand like what 
everything is has to be like everything has to be exactly how every viewer thinks it should be and if it's not exactly like that and if the story isn't told the way they want it to be told then it's wrong or something and instead but of I thinking think sometimes like, i mean maybe sometimes that uh term might be applied correctly but it's like like i, I saw almost famous on there and it's like well, isn't part of it supposed to be William's naivete about Penny Lane and that he's like wrong? Well, yeah. Isn't that the point? It's, it's how <laughs> well, he Matt, you don't there. think that people wildly misinterpreting and not understanding films is a huge issue whenever <laughs> these lengthy articles and criticisms are written? It's like right. I could point to like 10 million times where I've been like, well, you're not under- actually understanding what this is about. <laughs> you're not actually getting like what is happening here yeah sometimes okay. i've my favorite is whenever the point of something in a film is a commentary on the exact thing that it then gets criticized even though like the point of it is to be pointing it out in the first place and it is the co- you know what i'm saying yeah like something in a film will be like a commentary on this one issue and then someone will write this thing saying describing it as if they're not getting it and that's it's not shocking, the whole point it's like sometimes people are just really dumb I, I, yeah, I just don't. Yeah, I think I sometimes know. people forget how dumb almost everybody is. <laughs> like, there's barely any people that are intelligent. Like, it, I'm I'm serious. It's like it's like less than half a percent of people are like functionally literate when it comes to like understanding what they see or read or experience. It's just like it's baffling sometimes. Like the so anyway, we're organizing a meetup. <laughs> If you guys want to come hang out, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm yeah, and I'm not, I'm not even just singling out like any one viewpoint or yeah, angle when it comes not to the this listeners stuff. of this show. No. But it's just like people uh, you know, their own outrage feeds their own outrage and it's just this bizarre cycle of like de- trying to like pick apart every single thing when the actual answer to your problems is to just create your own thing. If we had, if everybody was creating their own thing, then we'd have more options, and then the things that were the best would rise to the top, and we wouldn't have to worry about this or that or whatever or marketing or can we get a woman for this character or a black person for this character or can this be changed to this or whatever? You know, what I mean, it's like well, just there's make your own thing. Too much, yeah. There's too much criticism going into it. It's like, I mean, I still think about this time that I heard people. Uh, trashing Django unchanged for not having uh strong female characters and they were like acting how quentin tarantino was so disgusting for it. i was like uh, he literally made a movie that spoiler ends in a group of chicks beating the shit out of a dude <laughs> who was like the villain yeah i mean he made kill bill a lot of uh tarantino's work centers on strong female characters i don't i don't really know how to even much more so than not yeah we've we've talked about this plenty of times this specific thing and it just seems insane it always bothers me though yeah but anyway cue the first of at least two maybe three appearances of this figure in clarence's life who is billed as mentor but is actually Elvis. When I turn this movie on and Val Kilmer's name shows up in the opening credits, I'm like, he's in this movie? This is always so forgettable to me that this is a part of it. (laughs) Yeah, because you never really even see his face or anything. Clarence is like not only into comic books and kung fu movies and cherry pie and pink Cadillacs, but Elvis is a huge part of his life. Yeah, I mean, this is where people turn around and, and say, oh, you don't get it, Matt, you idiot. But I just, I don't love the whole... 
Elvis scenes. Yeah, I mean, it's a little fanciful for this movie, right. which, granted, like I described it as a fairy tale, but I think the thing that's so jarring about the fairy tale nature of it is how like gritty a lot of it looks and feels a lot of the time. Because, I yes. mean, we're opening in Detroit here, and it's a lot of like cold-looking streets and like... Right, yeah. A lot breath of, being blown out, you know, and like yeah, kind of just like the old Warren City, a lot of blight, and so this kind of always kind of sticks out as kind of a weird thing where Elvis appears to him when usually when he's in the bathroom, like standing at the mirror, he's like right. pacing around behind you, him yeah, or that's whatever, the thing. and you can never really get like you said a clear shot of his face. Now I get that like it's his. It's, you know, it's not actually happening, and he's just thinking these things oh. in his head. <laughs> I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I don't understand why there's, like, this ghost that shows up. It's really I don't even strange. think it's a ghost. I just think it's a guy that shows up. Yeah. Where, where is he most of the time? <laughs> but, like, Elvis starts filling Clarence's head with all of these ideas because, you see, Alabama was a call girl, and call girls have pimps. And pimps can be, you know, pretty nasty customers. And it kind of is bothering Clarence, who's who's kind of got these, like, old-fashioned chivalrous ideas. Like, he feels like this guy probably has wronged Alabama in some way. Now, she says that... Or at the very least has, like, control over her. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's kind of like that ancient primal thing of like granted we don't get the impression that she slept with drexel although i would assume that most pimps probably do sleep with all their women the uh entry fee more or less that we they we they that never gets into detail explicitly but it's kind of the the thing of like another man you know having been there (laughs) kind of thing and it's really kind of bothering clarence in a very like caveman type way one of the great lessons in the history of film is always to not let this bother you well now in this particular instance like a lot of problems could have been avoided if you would have just been able to let this go because that's of course what alabama wants she's just like that's in the past let's move on yeah don't live in the past yeah, and it, you're thinking, like, all right, well, he just gets married to this chick. Neither of them seem like they have, you know, a lot tying them to the city. It seems like they could pretty much move out of Detroit and start their lives anywhere they want. Um, we kind of get a quick introduction to uh, Drexel, played by Gary Oldman. Just in a unbelievable. Shockingly <laughs> bizarre, unbelievable, unrecognizable turn here as the... As a white pimp who thinks he's black, has dreads, has a fucked up eye, which I guess Gary Oldman has, borrowed from like the a, Bram Stoker's Dracula set. Yeah, that's cool. I never knew that until you were saying that the other day. And um, I always think of Gary Oldman as like the best facial hair supporting actor. <laughs> like he always has like a mustache or beard. Or like some- yeah, I mean he's definitely one of the great actors of our time, and seemingly only occasionally gets recognized for it yeah but he he, yeah he always takes can take like a small supporting sometimes he gives controversial interviews though and it's just like oh boy hack (laughs) (laughs) oh no (laughs) well there was a thing a couple years ago but that seems to be in the past so anyway we meet him and he's like there's samuel jackson randomly right 
do you think is this where the connection started with Tarantino or is there something that predates this maybe I don't remember I for some reason I feel like Tarantino said that he saw Sam Jackson in something else boomerang maybe I don't remember what it was, but he said he saw him in something, and then that's where he wanted to cast him for Pulp Fiction. But it does make more sense if it was this. Although, I mean, I don't know what part of this performance would have (laughs) made him think uh, leading guy for Pulp Fiction, but... Well, what made him think John Travolta at that time? Well, I mean, John Travolta was carrying with him a lot of history with Saturday Night Fever and... Uh, had that big dance number. Welcome back, Cotter. Um, <laughs> I mean, truthfully, that probably was a big part of it. So, like, there's some sort of a drug deal going on, and this is, like, all done in about three minutes, but this, this is, is our introduction yeah, it's to It's such a Drexel. short scene, but, yeah, it's basically just so we can meet this guy who's briefly going to be the villain of the movie. And there's, like, a discussion about eating pussy, <laughs> and Samuel L. Jackson chimes in with, and the, like the one guy is basically this is like kind of an outdated thing, and and I think in a lot of people who would be younger watching this film now wouldn't even like get what they were even talking about. But this is how fucked up the world used to be for anybody you know younger than me that might not know. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I guess in a sense this is still a thing for like older people. But I, I mean, like eating pussy was like seen as like something that like a real man would never do oh right yeah there's a sopranos episode about it yeah 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 that of that generation it's definitely like i've i can't it was it from sopranos or something else where somebody basically said it was like the same thing as sucking dick (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i can't that probably wasn't sopranos but like that is how insane this was it like it, it it was basically like and like I think Louis C.K. recently was talking about how when he was trying to get Joe Pesci to be in that stupid show that he made that oh, was yeah. uh, like available on the internet. Right. I don't even remember what it was called. Horace and something. Yeah, <laughs> that Joe Pesci, who you know declined to be in the show, but talked to Louis a few times. At one point, was telling him how he should never eat pussy and all this stuff, and he was like giving this whole like soliloquy about it. <laughs> and it was just the, the most bizarre thing ever. And did I know, that have like, to do with the character for the show, or did that just come up? No, no, no. This was just him talking, <laughs> just in general, and just general life advice. And so, like the one character, I, I don't know their names. They're literally on screen for about five seconds before they die. But the one character is basically saying, you know, saying like he would never do it and all this stuff. And then like Samuel Jackson was just an iconic line. <laughs> He's saying, I'll eat the pussy, I'll eat the butt, I'll eat the whole fucking thing. <laughs> Just to my like 18-year-old ears hearing this for the first like, time. What? This was just like a mind-blowing bit of dialogue that was just like so great and so <laughs> funny. And like ultimately, you know, so real. Yeah. <laughs> but but like I just think, like, you know, we talked about the Persian line already, and I think, like, this whole sequence of dialogue here is also kind of, like, a product of its time. Because I don't think even... I don't think in 2017, if they would make a movie like this, that they would think it would even make sense to have people talking about, like, not wanting to eat pussy and all this stuff. Yeah, that's true. But it was, like, something that was very common in that time period, and 
and everything prior as to like a mindset, like how people would certain kinds of men would act. And a lot of the times, see, feminism has <laughs> changed things for the better, right? <laughs> well, I think ultimately my point is all of those men for the most part were lying and they all did it (laughs) because it's great guys it's fucking great all right so anyway this has been a weird episode (laughs) so we know that drexel's kind of this bad dude because he kills those two guys and he's kind of got this big heavy with him not unlike the guy that alfred molina has in the aforementioned boogie night scene it might even be the same guy for all we know i mean these movies are only four years apart so Clarence is going to make his way over there and confront Drexel. Now, I'm not really sure what he hopes to accomplish. Yeah, he does really bring a gun. His, yeah, we don't get really his plan. I don't know if he just wants to try to scare Drexel. That seems like a bad idea. But again, It seems like he goes there with the idea that he's got to do this, though. He's got to kill him. The thing we can't stop talking about while we're watching it is just like, what? He's acting like he's going over there under the guise of, I'm going to get Alabama's things, her stuff. What stuff? What could she possibly have? I just, I, of any value. I mean, yeah, she was basically living at a crack den with a bunch of other hookers. It's like, I don't know. Right. What, uh, some panties? Like, I don't know, like. What? Some, um, I mean, I'm sure she, I guess she had some other ridiculous clothes. I mean, she's very big into, like, neons and leopard prints. The, uh, and, <laughs> from Eastbound and Down from the first season when Kenny Power says one of us shoplifts from, what's that store? Do you remember? Fashion bug or yeah, something? Yeah, that's what I'm like. Just take her to the fashion bug and replace her wardrobe. I mean, come on. God, the, that first season is incredible. <laughs> Shoplift that shit from the fashion bug. So he kind of makes it a point to bring an empty envelope to give the Drexel to be like, I'm going to pay you all I think you're, you're due or something. Like to get for my own peace of mind. And then Drexel sees that it's empty. Eventually, this like leads to an altercation, and they're fighting. And Drexel and his goons kind of get the upper hand for a minute, but then they kind of don't realize that he has a gun. Yeah, it seems like they should have won this encounter, Drexel and the goons. It seems crazy that they would have let him in there that far without patting him down. Right. I mean, these guys seem kind of amateurish in retrospect. What would oh. their bosses have thought? I th- well, I Don think- Vincenzo and yeah, Blue Lou. Uh, yeah, they are, they are amateurs. We don't. We meet the real villains later, and uh, Clarence is able to kill Drexel first, shooting him in the dick, and then you know his big bodyguard guy, and uh, he throw he throws a bag to, or he doesn't even throw anything. He just says, "Fill this or fill fill a bag with Alabama stuff." And some girl, I believe this girl just gives him the suitcase that he ends up taking. Right? I don't know. It all happens really fast here. Yeah, I guess so. And, of course, instead of it being uh, any of Alabama's possessions, it's a large amount of cocaine. Yeah. Giant bags of cocaine. Now, at some point in the film, they're referencing this as being like half a million dollars worth. I would say probably substantially more now, although I don't really know how prices go up and down. <laughs> Inflation. So it may, maybe, it would, maybe it was more then. Who knows? But... It looks like a lot. <laughs> so, of course, the issue is that Drexel would have, had taken uh, Clarence's ID out at one point, and I guess Clarence, it nev- never occurs to Clarence to take that ID back. Now, I know a lot's going on. He just killed two guys, but it's like... I mean, you want to talk about amateur. 
<laughs> I mean, the worst crime ever. Uh, leaving your license at the crime scene. Yeah, it's a bunch of ass clowns at work here. This is horrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so then <laughs> we got to start moving along. Oh, so yeah, I know we're still in like the opening act of the movie. Well, there's really not that many things that actually happen. Right, that's true. After this, I mean, it kind of like gets to the point pretty quick. Yeah. So the couple go see uh, Clarence's father, who's somewhat estranged at this point. Hasn't, hasn't seen really Clarence seen in Clarence years. in a long time. Yeah. Uh, played by the late Dennis Hopper. Uh, Just one of the great performances of our time. (laughs) Not in in these first couple scenes, but the scene that he has with uh, Christopher Walken. You know, I guess uh, Clarence's dad used to be a cop, so he wants him to try to find out if there's anything, any word on the street about what's going on with Drexel's murder. Apparently the cops think it's just a gangland killing because, Because of course... someone else found the license. Yeah, we'll find that out in a minute. Um, But again, as you point out, when we're watching, it never crosses Clarence's mind that he left the ID there. No, you would have thought he would have noticed by now. Yeah, they're driving all over the place. He's worried about the cops. You don't think, oh, where's my license? It was a different time, you know? People didn't really think about their licenses, I guess. Nothing seems to bother Clarence. (laughs) He has a carefree existence. I mean, he basically just lost his virginity. (laughs) So I think he's a little... (laughs) (laughs) They never say that, but I think we can assume. Yeah. Which, by the way, boss of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just like... I mean, I mean, I'm wondering how much Alabama was really taking a vested interest as, in his employees. Um, well, I mean, when you work at a comic book store, it's kind of a yeah, kind of a casual, it's a tight circle boss employee yeah. relationship. So they tell uh, Clarence's dad that they're going on their honeymoon and heading to Las Vegas. And shortly thereafter, uh, it doesn't take long for some mafia types to show up at uh old uh mr i guess his name's clifford yeah old cliff's trailer looking for clarence that sounds like a location from the new twin peaks (laughs) and at the head of this little mobster group is uh don vincenzo and he's played by christopher walken yeah the don doing a house visit so obviously you know, the stakes are high here because, you know, it's not like he's sent just the underlings to go investigate this. Now, he's just the conciliere to the big mobster Blue Lou, right. who we never see in the But film. he's a high-ranking official. Yes. Because, I mean, this is a lot of money. Uh, they probably could give a shit about Drexel being dead, but there are a lot of drugs here. This was kind of a big score, probably, yes. and now it's fucked up. They figured it out because Clarence stupidly left his license. And so they start to interrogate Clifford. You know, he's tied to a chair. They're like punching him. They cut yeah. his palm with oh, a knife yeah. and pour him up. alcohol on it or something. And, you know, Clifford is not telling them anything. And, you know, at some point. At some point, he decides that he's not getting out of this and he's just going to go for broke. Yeah, and the standoff scene here between uh, Walken and Hopper is, of course, the most memorable scene from yeah, the film. Love, it's unbelievable. I mean, every time I watch it, just like when the tone, as like the tone changes, and Dennis Hopper is just like, "Could I uh, have one of those Chesterfields now?" <laughs> well, it's <laughs> set up perfectly too because you have Walken go through his whole spiel about 
Sicilians. Sicilians always knowing, being able to tell when someone's lying. Right. And so that, of course, sets up the punchline at the end of this whole thing yeah. so perfectly. And so I don't know how much we can really say. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the most PC scene in the world. Unfortunately, uh, the scene, the dialogue in the scene and the whole point of the big story i guess you could call it that clifford tells to uh don vincenzo is problematic in 2017 or anytime yeah, to be I, fair i, I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, yeah, it's, even then but it's, it's rough obvious, like, but that's kind of the point well especially like i think and obviously part of the understanding of this scene is knowing that italian these particular it. guys right i don't even want to say Italian that's true well that's, that's yeah that's what i was going to try to get at though like that's kind of like a stereotypical thing in film that in tv is like that uh, italian like mobsters yes are like mobsters racist. in particular but, yeah that these particular guys that this story would offend them more so than you know right he's going for the jugular here basically that sicilians are descendants of the moors and i think we can leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> and it's just this great, like, it's because the thing that makes it great, though, is just that it's like this ultimate fuck you in the face of knowing certain death. Right. And obviously. Instead uh, of, like, uh, cowering and being, like, you know, giving them the information that they want. <laughs> yeah, or or not, or just not trying not to say anything, right. but not, you know, just like, hey, fuck you. Yeah, the ultimate spit in the face. This, of course, gets under the skin of. Uh, Don Vincenzo, and he shoots Clifford himself, <laughs> yeah. proclaiming that he hasn't killed anyone since 1984, right. which would have and been that, nine years ago. Right. That just punctuates it even more that that pissed him off so much to the point that he actually... Because at that point, they don't know if they're going to have this information. Right. So <laughs> he, he could have... kills him. He could have just gotten rid of the only source because of the information. Because of the story, yeah. And then, you know, one of the henchmen turns around and finds, like, Clarence's... Where he's going... Uh, yeah, the address on is the fridge. <laughs> stuck to the fridge with a magnet. Um, but yeah, you could definitely make the point that that was what he was doing, was yeah. trying to just piss him off so much that he would just kill him instead of torturing him and doing all this other shit to try to get the information or whatever. Right. Oblivious to all of this, Clarence and Alabama are on their way to L.A. Joyriding, yeah. Uh, they stop at a payphone to call Clarence's friend Dick Ritchie, who was an actor. Michael Rappaport. Played by Michael Rappaport and kind of like the most appropriate Rappaport-esque role you could come well, up with for someone Copland, like him. this and right? <laughs> the, the two Michael Rappaport, like... I would say that this fits him even better. Like, yeah. Copland, I could see... What is, what is his name? Superboy or something? Superboy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know that's like his nickname or what, or what they call him because... But it, I don't know. Yeah. Just that they keep goofy. referencing him. Yeah. But like, I just want to point this part out because... Uh, they call him from this payphone and then proceed to start fucking each other while they're on the phone to Dick the Ritchie. phase. And it's, like, hot. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, like, I know that, like, we're basically pigs and we just talk about how women look and blah, blah, but... <laughs> <laughs> nervous laughter if somebody was doing subtitles oh, it would have no. just said nervous laughter. i'm just gonna say patricia arquette looks incredible in this movie she's so sexy <laughs> i i yeah i mean i it's unbelievable how much i'm in love with her in this movie <laughs> i don't know if the, you're la you're still laughing nervously Every i don't feel like that was bad it's just 
I mean, I, I listened to like two seconds of the Social Network one, and it's just talking about <laughs> how you have a locket for Rooney Mara. <laughs> All right, well, I don't have a locket for Patricia Arquette, but I just think she looks really good in this movie. Yeah. I don't. No, that's fair. I, right. I, I'm sorry, ladies. I don't feel like it's a crime to appreciate beauty. <laughs> We can talk about how sexy Brad Pitt is in a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> this is like peak Pitt, really, in terms of looks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, basically bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. We meet Dick. We meet his roommate, Floyd, who is Brad Pitt, right. who basically is just a stoner who lives on the couch and does nothing. Yes. Never really leaves the apartment or, or anything. Yeah, and somehow, I mean, I know he's got a roommate, but he's living a decent life in L.A. L.A. I mean, that yeah, can't I mean, be cheap. We don't know, like, really the be- Floyd's backstory. I mean, he might, maybe he is rich parents. Comes from money, yeah. <laughs> he just seems kind of preoccupied with the TV. And I mean, he is not your run-of-the-mill stoner. He is very burnt out. I mean, there is I thought not you were going to say he's on. very attractive. Well, yeah. <laughs> Because he's he's yeah he's not the prototypical stoner in that sense too. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's a babe. So basically, Clarence puts it onto Dick to try to find a Hollywood connection to unload all this coke because now it's become a plan where Clarence and Alabama, who don't really have any other money, are going to live off of the windfall of selling this. this By the way, this dude that's really not an actor. Is going to find... No, I mean, he's, like, struggling for, like, walk-on parts for, like, TJ Hooker, which is, like, what he's doing. Who who is he going to find? But it just so happens that he... Has a friend. Does have a friend named Elliot Blitzer, who's... Who is this actor? Bronson Pinchot from Perfect Strangers. Oh. So, (laughs) God. (laughs) There's the the age gap right there, folks. Horrible miss by me. Um... Do you not? Do you, are you familiar with Perfect Strangers? I am not. Oh, well, it was like a TG, TGIF show that kind of like predated like some of the more famous ones, like pre Step by Step. Well, like Family Matters is technically a Perfect Strangers spinoff. Oh, I didn't because know I that. think like Harriet worked in the building that they lived in. It was just like an odd. It was a stupid odd couple type show with two guys. And Bronson Pinchot was like, he played like a foreign guy, Balky. Oh, Balky okay. Bartholomus or something like that. I can't remember. It was a terrible show. Anybody who thinks it was good is an idiot. But Elliot has a great scene in this movie. Well, it's kind of unclear. I'm looking, I'm kind of glancing down at Wikipedia and it has the character actor Elliot Blitzer. And I never, I never got the impression he was an actor too. But I guess how else would Dick know him? Because I kept thinking he was like some sort of an executive. I think that, he's just the assistant to this producer and i think all assistants to producers are actors okay so you're thinking he's just like he works for film producer lee donowitz who apparently um unbeknownst to the actor himself who unintentionally was doing this i guess was it was like a parody of joel silver the the famous film producer who director tony scott who directed the film had a bad relationship with, kind of, kind of, coming out of the film The Last Boy Scout, uh, starring Bruce Willis. He's kind of this over-the-top film producer most known for a film called Coming Home in a Body Bag. Is that what it's called? Yeah, something like that. It's like a <laughs> platoon Yeah, like a bl- slash platoon uh, uh, apocalypse now. Yeah. It's a Vietnam thing that 
Clarence is a fan of, and even like some of the cops who we'll meet later seem to like that film too. It's kind of like a a man's man type movie, I guess, or something. And Elliot is supposed to be the connect between Dick Clarence in Alabama and uh, Lee Donowitz, who is supposedly the grandson of another Tarantino character, Donnie Donowitz from Inglorious Bastards. This is confirmed by Tarantino. Just a worthless connection. Well, he li- uh, he likes to have all of those worthless connections between yeah. all of his movies or Him whatever. Kevin Smith. <laughs> it was a 90s thing, man. It was a big <laughs> 90s thing. They wanted to have ownership over their worlds or right. whatever. They were, in, you know, we just fucking saw a trailer for this goddamn new Annabelle movie where they, in the beginning of the trailer, they're like, the beginning of the conjuring yeah. universe or the something. next chapter yeah, of yeah. the conjuring universe yeah the fact that they refer to it as the conjuring universe for an annabelle prequel. makes me want to <laughs> light the theater on fire <laughs> but you know tarantino and kevin smith were on the ground floor of wanting to yeah create their own universe <laughs> so anyway everything kind of like comes together and they're like all right we're going to have this uh meeting you know you know obviously clarence has got to meet elliot and blah 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 and blah blah blah. they go on a roller coaster blah blah blah. so what happens that part's pretty throwaway the important part here is clarence and alabama are staying at a motel called the safari inn james gandolfini who we saw briefly in the scene with don vincenzo back at uh clifford's trailer has shown up to la apparently tracking them down we never see christopher walken again right unfortunately gandolfini i'm not really sure i think his name's like virgil it's kind of not really (laughs) important important because they never say it or anything he shows up at dick's apartment when they're not there but floyd is there and floyd kind of unknowingly provides their location he's like oh no they're staying at the safari (laughs) motor Lodge in Safari in or something, you know, it's like <laughs> right. a whole stupid stoner thing. Virgil shows up, unbeknownst to Clarence in Alabama. Clarence drops Alabama off at the motel and he's gonna go get lunch and bring it back for them. Alabama opens the motel room and uh Gandolfini's just sitting there in kind of like a horrifying holding a scary shotgun. moment. Yeah. Now I'll say this for Alabama. Uh can keep her cool. Oh yeah, she immediately just starts like kind of improving. <laughs> I mean, she's yes anding all over the place. He's like, "All right, Alabama, where's my Coke? Where's Clarence?" And she's like, uh, "We don't have any Coke, but there's a Pepsi machine down the hall." <laughs> <laughs> LOLs all over the place. Yeah. Like, y- yeah, I mean, this kind of this is the scene that kind of establishes, if we haven't guessed already, that Alabama is not some pushover you know damsel in distress no. when it comes to this kind of shit like she she's seen herself. some things in her life that led her to being that call girl yeah. that met clarence and a lost soul <laughs> things get pretty dark pretty quick <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's really no way to sugarcoat this. He starts like to beat the shit out of her. fist, punching her in the face and stomach. I do think it's a little unbelievable that a guy his size and a girl her size, that he's not knocking her unconscious. I mean, you could make the argument, okay, he's pulling his punches. He knows how to do that. But she's, like, kind of a small girl. I mean, right. he's punching her in the face. Yeah. Enough to be, like, that her nose is, like, busted up and there's blood everywhere. All the while, he's keeping this, like, dialogue going which is 
kind of seems sexual. He's basically referring to himself as daddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I dare you to watch this scene without getting a hard on. Um, <laughs> he's really kind of just beating her up and throwing her around the room. We're kind of cutting to Clarence getting the most disgusting thing you've ever heard in your life at this burger stand. Something that you ordered probably mere hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> and so... I don't go for that, like, chili Oh, yeah. Cheese no, that's crap. dangerous. That is dangerous. <laughs> It'd be a race against time. <laughs> um, but, like... Finally, she is looking for her window to do something, and she picks up the, like, wine opener. Well, it looks like it's a pocket knife oh, or something, okay, but yeah. she takes the corkscrew like, part of it. Right. And is holding it up, and he thinks it's cute that she's trying to fight back. I mean, at this point, he's knocked her all around the room. I think it... That's when he first realizes the coke is under the bed. So he's he's flipping up the bed to get that, and he turns around, and she's doing the thing with the pocket knife. Right. Because it like, took him forever even... to figure out that they would just hide it under the bed. Yeah, which he's kind of like talking about his stupidity. And yeah. then he sees her with this little thing. He's like, oh, that's cute. I'll give you your – give me your best shot. I'll let you take a shot because I think you're cute. And then she stabs him, what, in the foot In with the it? foot. She just – J- drives it down into his foot which is really kind of gross because right he kind of like pu- tries to pull it out and you can tell like because you know like you know even a heavier guy like gandolfini it's not like you have a lot of padding on the top of your foot that's going right into bone pretty yeah. much that's rough so that like uh disorients him for a minute uh but he recovers and basically starts beating her. uh she hits him in the head with like a vase or something or a lamp yeah, and, and the then, the fight spills into the bathroom. Right. And now, at this point, he very much has the upper hand and seemingly should win pretty easily, but she's, like, laughing, and this he's, like, confused by it, and he's like, why are you laughing? And she's like, look at your face, and then he stops and looks in the mirror. <laughs> well, like, his what? hair is, like, sticking up. She appeals to his vanity which i mean right. seems ridiculous yeah it would happen this at this heavy moment set yeah. balding guy but, I, I, but I, I, even the fact that this would stop you it seems like he would be like in a fit of rage at this point he's just been stabbed well, that, in the foot well that's i guess kind of the scary thing about like these mobster types uh yeah. who are like cold-blooded killers like that's the thing they're cold-blooded like he might not be in a rage True. at all like well, this I'm is thinking, just work yeah but the the corkscrew thing in the foot that's true uh, but then, you know, while he's distracted, she picks off the top of the toilet and hits him in the head with it. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have just knocked me oh, dead. Yeah, I would have just no been kid, dead I, at that oh, point. Yeah, it'd be over. And she constructs like this MacGyver-esque type move where she uses like a lighter and like hairspray to like set him on fire because she dumped oil or something on him i don't know what she dumped on him yeah just completely some no, sort of no. isn't it that she just uses the no because she, she dumps something on then, him first because it like burns him a little right. bit like gets in his eyes and then yeah that's true. that's when she gets that moment to like light him on fire with that thing yeah and so, of course he's running around all burned up i mean kind of a, <laughs> his head is on fire now yeah kind of like a bad uh stunt double moment right. where you, you can, can clearly yeah, it's like see pretty it's some clear guy. Yeah. but like she grabs the shotgun at this point, her shirt has been ripped off. By the way, they must be making the most noise in the greater Los Angeles area. Oh, yeah. I no, mean, nothing happening. No, 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 no. I mean, this is like... <laughs> has alerted no one. <laughs> and I mean, this predates OJ. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
But anyway, so like, I mean, they're in like this tiny motel, but I, I'm assuming that this motel has probably had its fair share of domestic violence going on within its it walls. Must be, yeah. It's just <laughs> that's just life at the Safari Inn. So her shirt is ripped off. Like she's wearing like this like bright light blue bra. Her, she's covered in blood. She's covered like her chest is covered in like blood and water because the shower had been turned on at some point. Oh yeah, yeah. She's. Gonna, I mean, did the sprinklers in the room go off too? Uh, from the well, fire? I think yeah. So I mean, there's water everywhere, and she's got like the shotgun. She gets on top of him, and with her boobs just like heaving up and down is just <laughs> pumping this shotgun and blowing holes in this dude because i mean she right. shoots him multiple times with a shotgun at uh-huh. very close range yes uh, and then proceeds to beat him with the shotgun when it's out of bullets and Alabama, that of course is when clarence shows not up. to be trifled with <laughs> i think that's safe to say uh clarence comes back to just quite a scene so they grab the suitcase and bolt and of course it's in that moment that other people start opening their doors, being like, what's going on? Yeah, like, why are they running down the hall? <laughs> so they speed out of the safari uh, inn, and I guess we get a scene then of Elliot bl- being pulled over. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a weird... He's getting order. like a, a blowjob in like a Porsche. Uh, Coke is being done. I don't know if this was the free sample bag that was provided. Yeah, probably, yeah. And... His lady friend not putting up with his shit when they get pulled over. No, she's because not going along with He's it. saying, put it in your purse. They're not going to search your purse. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty concerned that he's going to be searched because he was driving recklessly. Yes, so, I guess. Uh, I was thinking, too. I was like, why doesn't he just put it under the chair and hope they don't search? And maybe they won't. Yeah. He uh, could just be like, I was getting a blowjob. I'm sorry. Although, I mean, she's probably right. If they're going to search him, they'll search probably everyone. Yeah, I don't know. Like... It's a, it's a tough situation, but he's trying to like get her to put it in her purse. She won't do it. Yeah. The bag ends up exploding and going all over the place, and she starts <laughs> laughing. Erupts at him. in laughter <laughs> as the police then are standing at the window. So, unfortunately for Elliot, this isn't like a recreational personal use no. amount of cocaine. This is a huge baggie of right. it, and it, Elliot could, not the strongest constitution. Yeah, I mean, I, he's being threatened with possession he, with intent to distribute, t- that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and he starts singing like a canary yeah. about the whole... Operation, the plan, the deal. The whole the whole spiel, in, his implicating boss. his boss, his friends. Well, I guess Dick is his only friend, but whatever. And this, of course, brings the attention of like some of the more heavy-duty detectives, played by uh, Chris Penn and... Uh, Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore. So they're called in, and they want to set up a, a sting operation with a wire and a whole deal. Yep. So now, it kind of, at this point, post, you know, Alabama's horrendous beating, like, the, the film kind of moves very quickly, yeah, because yeah. now we're like, now all right, we got to get to this deal. They're like... Everything come together. The uh, mobsters show back up at the... Well, not back. The rest of uh, Virgil's crew show up at Floyd's apartment. Yeah. Because be- they're holding like the heavy machine guns and stuff, and he's just like, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> so 
So basically, we're headed towards like a final showdown, which is unbeknownst to Clarence in Alabama and Dick and yeah, Lee, who still, is buying the Coke. I will say this. Clarence has like no awareness of like, he never stops to think like, oh yeah, there's probably other people coming. It seems like every time he defeats one per like one person is defeated, he's like, okay, that's it. We can carry on with our lives now. Yeah, I mean, the issue, of course, here is, and this extends even beyond the duration of the events in the film, is now they've gone a step further than just stealing some coke and are on the run. Because I think eventually logic would say that if they had just stolen the coke and kind of disappeared that, you know, some Detroit gangsters are probably just going to give up. You know, they're not going to spend the rest of their lives looking for these people. I mean, why would they? I mean, it's a lot of money, but it's like you're needed back in Detroit at some point. I mean, point. how much money are they going to spend? Yeah, I mean, China? they're not going to waste the rest of their lives looking for them. But now... But Clarence is a dumbass. <laughs> now... Tragic flaw. Alabama has killed somebody who... For all we know, might be higher up. He seemed, he could have been second. In, he was a made guy. Yeah, I mean, who knows? So it's like now it seems like they're in it real deep, and they're never going to get out of it, yeah. even beyond the end of this movie. So <laughs> the odds are against their survival. I would but say, for whatever yeah. reason, they're like, we got to get this money. We got to do this deal. We got to get out. We got to get this to happen. So every you know everybody, unbeknownst to them, you know, um, Elliot's wearing a wire. The rest of them are just like. Let's do this. <laughs> you know, let's, you know, and I Clarence like fucks Dick. with Elliot a little bit, and Elliot almost panics and reveals oh, everything. That, well, that part's great, though, because the cops are just like, oh my God, this idiot that we sent on this is already like giving up because he's basically saying in the wire, like, please come get me. But he's, he's like, like I wish somebody would come and take me away. <laughs> like, Tom Sizemore, and they were like, Elliot is bluffing. Come on, you <laughs> loser wimp. Like, just hang in there. <laughs> and for some reason, Clarence doesn't really pick up on, like, how much he's panicking. I know. Well, Clarence doesn't know what he's doing. He's trying Obviously. to be tough and cool, but he's the worst. So, that's the thing that always kind of infuriates me about this is, like, yeah, Lee is, like, kind of a dick to Elliot in general. But, like... Lee is, like, kind of just, like, a cool guy, really. Like, yeah. he thinks it's cool that, like, Clarence in Alabama, he loves the whole thing, and, right. like, you know, he's even kind of concerned. He's like, yeah, Clarence, he what, are you beating her? Because yeah. he's got, like, you know, her fucked up face. And he doesn't come across, like... He like, seems genuinely a little bit interested say, in, yeah, in Dick Ritchie's career. This, I just end up hating, like, Elliot, because I'm like... Well, Elliot is definitely, like, a snake. He got yeah. reckless... And then he, you know, he got caught. And then he, in order to not tries to ruin everyone else's lives. Exactly. So, <sighs> but they go through and they do the deal. Dick, for some reason, there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's part of the fun. He really doesn't need to be there, but <laughs> well, he's kind of an extra buffer for Clarence because I mean, you know, he doesn't really know Elliot that so well, so he's kind of just an extra. That's true, and it doesn't take too long before the cops hear what they need to hear. And they decide to go in for the raid. Yeah, the part that, of course, jumps out at you now is that Lee has like his own entourage of bodyguards, and they these guys have like machine guns. Villains from Die Hard, maybe. Yeah, like, these huge guys who have like heavy artillery, and they're like. I like that. I mean, I know like Hollywood, a lot of money flying around is pretty crazy. Do you think like most movie producers just have guys walking around with machine guns? No, but. 
possibly if they're making like these huge drug deals That's with people true. that they don't really yeah. know. But they're on call. Of course, like in a very Tarantino esque way, one of the bodyguard guys is like Hey Lee, something I never told you about about myself. I fucking hate cops, and so they're <laughs> refusing to back down to the cops. Oh right, the cops Which, are all in with their guns drawn. I will say during this scene, Lee, that actor, does like a great job because I just think it's, it's funny. Like he starts kind of telling his henchmen, like, "What are you guys doing? Like, put your guns away. These are the fucking police." Yeah, and they're just like, "We don't care." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're just like, what? yeah, like they're two guys that like honestly. Probably would have gotten no charges in the end of this. It would they they nothing would have ever happened to them probably yeah. if they would have just been like, all right, well, our boss got busted. Yeah, and like but they're like, no, they would have got arrested then, but like nothing would have happened. Saying to the cops like, we're about to mow you down. If the, the cops are like, everyone down, and they're like, no, you guys get down. <laughs> they're like, we have machine guns. Yeah, and, and you know, as it goes, it's of course the old-fashioned Mexican standoff and. The, the mobsters break into the room, yeah. and now we got three layers of it, all right. with guns. Uh, Clarence, at this point, thinks the deal is done has, and has gone to the bathroom to where he's fucking talking to Elvis uh, again. Now, I will say, before this all happens, when Clarence is kind of doing his little monologue spiel, one of my favorite little parts is uh, uh, Alabama just writing him a note that says, you are so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, in, and there's no irony or sarcasm. No. She just loves her man. Right. Which, you know, makes her all the more endearing to the nerds out That's there the like me. Again, Alabama always keeping her cool because you would think like she would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you you just seem like an ass clown douche. Well, he's like spinning some crazy story about how, where the coke came from yeah, and yeah. all this stuff. Right. You know, it's all this bullshit. And Lee seems to like him and thinks that everything's fine everything's on the up and up and everything would have been obviously if elliot wouldn't have yeah oh also the thing that lee's doing like when you know the cops come in and everything is like yelling and talking shit to elliot (laughs) (laughs) well yeah eventually elliot tries to extricate himself from the situation by asking one of the officers by name and the and chris penn is talking to him and calling him elliot and then it dawns on Lee at that point that Elliot's the one that you know squealed the whole deal and he starts flipping out and he's like you can take your SAG card and burn it <laughs> <laughs> you're never gonna act in this town for the next 20 years I treated you like a son yeah which seems insane <laughs> that he would say that but, uh, <laughs> but yeah the, the scene of course gets wild I mean Tom Sizemore just lit up Oh, well, what happens, I I think, is uh, Lee takes a pot of hot coffee and throws it at Elliot, Elliot, and that's when everyone starts shooting. Yeah. So you have the two bodyguard guys in the middle spraying machine guns. You have the mobster guys at the far end of the room with their guns, and then you have the cops who... I'm not sure how many of them get into the room. Yeah, yeah. It seems like there probably should have been more because there's more later downstairs. So well, it's yeah, like, they clearly weren't equipped enough for this raid. So all this gunfire starts happening. Uh, lots of people get killed, including Elliot and Lee. Basically everyone. Yeah, basically everyone except for Dick, who runs out. <laughs> yeah. I believe, is Dick he carrying the, the drugs? 
I don't know. I know that obviously Alabama does not get shot, and Clarence comes out of the bathroom and a bullet grazes his eye, and he goes down. Which, I mean, talk about something that's happened too many times in movies. I mean, how many people historically have been grazed by a bullet? It's possible. I, it I'm happens. Not it's not possible, but I think the amount of... I'm going to allow happened. it. All right. So he goes down. Alabama thinks he's shot, so she crawls over to him, screaming and crying like an idiot. At this point, it's really just Chris Penn, uh, another cop, and um, one of the gangsters who is Italian and doesn't speak English left. Uh, the co- the the mobster fakes like he's going to f- surrender and throws right. one of his guns but pulls another, shoots one of the cops. Chris Penn wastes him. They forgot to ask for the other gun. So <laughs> so the one cop sits on the couch and he keeps saying, like, that motherfucker shot me or whatever. Oh, it's yeah, unclear yeah. if he's going to die or not. But then uh, one of the bodyguard guys is like now crying out for an ambulance yeah, call me an ambulance <laughs> yeah really kind of pathetic yeah come on. and chris penn just is like this is for cody who's tom sizemore randomly named cody of all names <laughs> and just shoots the dude a couple times which yeah, at I this mean, point the, who's gonna know this is the breaking point for alabama who's had enough yeah and she just shrieks out in rage picks up a gun and manages to shoot Chris Penn multiple times like underneath his arm in between the front and back of his bulletproof vest. <laughs> yeah, what a shot. <laughs> Presumably uh, killing him. So pretty much everyone in the room now kinda, is dead. Like Alabama she shoots like the one character who's not is re- I mean he's a cop and he didn't really do anything like bad. I mean Well, he was still shooting and she didn't like she had had enough yeah. at that point. So she was just Anybody that would have been left, I think, would have been catching a bullet from from Bama. That's true. <laughs> I guess that the other cop that had been alive is probably dead or at that point had passed out. So yep. there are no witnesses to okay. the fact that yeah, Alabama killed somebody. <laughs> I mean, um, you want to talk about just ridiculous scenarios to walk away from. Well, she thinks that Clarence is dead. That's true. And she's freaking out. Yep. But then he, of course, is not dead and comes back and she's happy so they take the money and manage to get out of the hotel because one of the gangsters who we didn't know was around i guess or still alive he is now taken a hostage in like the lobby of the hotel and that's distracting all of the police i mean yeah. that's obviously just a plot device i mean the, you know there's no way they'd walk out of here I it mean, doesn't really make it why would that guy even take a hostage like it doesn't really make any sense what's happening there yeah like, what I is mean, happening not that long ago and i brought this up when we were uh watching this we watched uh killing zoe which was directed by roger avery and it just uh, also a ridiculous scenario for people to walk away from a bank robbery but it's like a similar thing where for some reason though killed. i kind of bought it in that movie because she legitimately worked for the bank and if she's gonna vouch for this guy who at this point in france at this particular bank it doesn't seem like they had cameras or whatever the two endings aren't that dissimilar though no they're massive not shootouts. Although, i mean you know obviously the characters don't end with aids in this one but I, I don't know I don't I, I I know that that was like the supposed thing yeah. there but I didn't like it. We're not. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I didn't really not. like the uh, casual throwing around of AIDS and killing Zoe. I know. 
I'm not going <laughs> to confirm that that was how it ended. Next episode of the pod, we're doing kids. <laughs> um, yeah, people just obsessed with AIDS in the 90s. Yeah, I know. It was it's a like big enough. topic. <laughs> no, it's not real. <laughs> oh, God. I, uh, wow. Yeah, I'll cut that out. All right. So, no, leave it in. So, <laughs> for some reason, I, I, I can remember Dick Ritchie running down the hall of the hotel, and I feel like he had the suitcase full of Coke, but Why I don't he think he did. Why though? I don't think he did. No, I because don't. I think it actually got shot up. Yeah, I think he was just excited to get out of there. Oh, you know what? Somebody throws it up in the air and it right. gets shot. Yeah. I think he throws it up in the air. That b- might be. That was like his distraction because then it, yeah. people are shooting it and he runs out of the room. Right. That's when he runs out. Okay. Then we get like the book ended narration from Alabama. The music from Badlands starts playing. They're on a beach. They've had a kid now together. <laughs> um. Not a lot of And the work kid done doesn't here. look super young. He looks no, about two or three or four, not a lot so of work done here to make the two of them look much older. Well, I mean it's only like a couple years, and so he's still wearing the eye patch though, so I mean he's blind now in that in eye. One eye, yeah. I guess. Now in Tarantino's original script, uh, of course, he does not live. And this was Tony Scott's decision to change the ending. Right. And Tarantino, of course, was furious at first oh. until he saw the film, and then he felt like he I, the way he said it was is in typical like Tarantino, like kind of like a backhanded compliment sense, but it was kind of like he's like, you know what, for the film that Tony made, I felt like Clarence had to live at the end or whatever. So, but, so he had to like preface what he was gonna say by <laughs> yeah. saying for the film that Tony made right. or whatever. He understood and he like he felt like he had to live at the end or whatever. Because it it's not that type of movie. I mean, this is a fairy tale fantasy happy ending. We love these lovers in love. Like that's what the audience is supposed to feel. It's not supposed to be some like gritty oh fuck, what did we just spend all this time with these people for? You know, like right. sad. Yep. And it's just like this is supposed to be like a a non-reality world here yeah. where, where these would, kind of things can happen that, yeah. and it's just supposed to be fun to view it and it is fun yeah it is fun it's a flawed movie of course some of the things didn't age particularly well but that's just because of you know changing of the times i think you'll find that in films of all eras it's just kind of weird to see one from I 93 mean, yeah. which isn't doesn't seem ancient i will say, it's just like that scene with uh, Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken, you you see kind of like the the DNA of what ends up being a, a lot of the just like long dialogue Tarantino scenes with just great builds to them. Well, you know, you talked a little bit about killing Zoe. It's kind of it's always been this like gray area as to like what exactly was the relationship <laughs> yeah. between Tarantino and Avery. What, what happened? happened? Who is responsible for... It seems like Avery wrote a script that was kind of like True Romance or something. It may have been more like Natural Born Killers. It was something. And he couldn't really finish it. And he was kind of stuck. And it wasn't very long. And then he gave it to Tarantino to work on. And then Tarantino came back with 500 pages, apparently. And this was all known as like the Open Road script. And Open Road was way too long to be its own movie and it got split into two movies which were True Romance and Natural Born Killers but elements of that script made its way into Pulp Fiction, Killing Zoe and probably Reservoir Dogs as well although I don't really know for sure. 
that may have been its own separate thing. So what, I mean, but Roger Avery is only story by credit is Pulp Fiction, right? He doesn't get any credit for True Romance and Natural Born Killers. No. I mean, you know, there's always been rumors that he should have gotten more credit for these things. Right. Um, now, was there an issue that led to the story? Was he always going to get a story by credit for Pulp Fiction, or was there something that, that had to be fought for? Um, well, I think, you know, cert- in, in certain sources, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's hard to say, you know, like what is fact and what is right, not. Yeah. But from everything that I've always read and heard, it seems like he wrote the... Wasn't it like the Christopher Walken? Yeah, thing with the Christopher Walken young Bruce watch Wilson. thing, yeah, and may have had some influence on that whole storyline with Bruce Willis. Okay, right. But the issue was Tarantino got him, I guess, with kind of some pressure, I guess, from Miramax at the time to agree to take a story by credit rather than written by because Tarantino wanted wanted written, written and, and directed, directed by Quentin Tarantino with nothing else yeah. there. And as far there, as like the careers went two separate directions. Yeah, I mean Not it, that Roger Avery's career has been a complete bust, but I would say Well, you know, he got into some he had some personal uh problems as well. He yeah, killed somebody right, by accident. I, but that's <laughs> That's a horrible thing, yeah. But yeah, so that that came later though, because I mean, he did like uh, Rules of Attraction yeah, which, in two thousand one, uh, and I don't really know movie. if he did anything else besides those two. You know what? He directed Beowulf. I'm pretty sure. Wait, what? The movie Beowulf? Really? I thought he did. Maybe no, I thought not. that was um, what's his face? Yeah, maybe you're right. The guy that did uh, Back to the Future. Oh, Zemeckis. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it was. I don't know why. I thought he did randomly direct like a big budget or a bigger budget thing. I don't know. He probably was in jail when Beowulf came out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think he's out now. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, he's he's got to be out. I don't think he did. He went to jail for that long. No, I don't think so. Uh, it was like a car accident thing. I don't know if he was yeah, drunk like or what. Yeah, like an accidental. Yeah, I, I don't think it was like a drunk driving thing either or anything. I don't know, but um, <laughs> you know Tarantino, he he does get questioned from time to time because obviously you know, starting with Jackie Brown, which he adapted from a novel, and then going into his post Jackie Brown work, which is all like very different from his first three films and very different from True Romance and Natural Born Killers. Sorry, he wrote the script for Beowulf. Okay. Um. Not a great script. Yeah, and also, <laughs> not that I've ever seen it, but I have. Also wrote the script for Silent Hill, Oof. the first Silent Hill movie. Yeah, Angelina Jolie is in Beowulf, correct? Right. Yes. Smoking hot. Although yeah. it's kind of like that weird Polar Express look. Yeah. You know where it's kind of like a combination of real people and digital, like right. in a yeah, weird I way. Remember that? Yeah. Not not cool. Yeah, not a not fan a that look. that was a thing. Um, I hope they don't make more movies like that. It's terrible. Um, anyway (laughs) Uh, follow the show on Twitter Um, I guess for my my new segment my movie recommendation (laughs) really lighten up the charts Um, or did you want to have a recommendation for this Uh, episode I didn't bring one maybe I'll bring one next time alright you get a recommendation ready I'll go ahead and recommend see this is tricky because I think the whole point of it is to like 
bring up something that we wouldn't normally we're not gonna do an episode on. Oh, okay. And so Jackie I feel like Brown. <laughs> I feel like if I bring something up that kind of like shuts the door on it. So I'm kind of, now I'm kind of scrambling because I had one in my mind, but then I'm like, no, I want to do an episode on that. So you know what? No recommendation. Caligula. The recommendation is watch the new Twin Peaks and go see um, either Dunkirk or A Ghost Story or uh, Wonder Woman or Atomic Blonde or Spider-Man. Emoji movie. Hey, if you if you feel the need to see Emoji movie, see Emoji movie. Um, I think this week we got like Detroit coming out. Uh, there's some more interesting indie movies coming out. We're feeling very optimistic. I'm and just hopeful. saying, go out and see a movie. Get into the theater. Yeah, I don't even on. care if it's Emoji movie. Just you see, can set the dialogue something. for movie talk. Invite some. Hey, you know what? Everybody's got somebody in their phone right now that they haven't talked to in a in a while. An old friend. That's probably just sitting around not doing much. and You could just text them, hey, like, why don't we see a movie next week? Why Start a movie club. And you know what? When you go see a movie with someone, you don't really have to talk to them that much. Yeah, it's great. And then if you feel the need, you could be like Clarence in Alabama and go have a piece of pie and talk about the movie afterwards if you want to. Or if not, it's always easy to be like, hey, I got to wake up for work. If you want to talk to someone while the movie is playing, though, I would not recommend a ghost story. I mean, silent as a crypt in the movie theater during that, if you turned over and tried to whisper something to the person next to you, I mean, yeah, everyone could hear that. I did have comments, but there really wasn't a lot. You that had I to could, like withhold. Yeah. Engage with the, the cool TV game of Thrones is back. Engage with the movies that are in the theater. I think honestly, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, if the big wheel keeps on turning with this show, we'll probably be doing a 2017 in review at some point. <laughs> I actually think 2017 That's is definitely on track as being year. one of the best years in a while. Uh, I'm loving it. So get out there and see some stuff. We got It and Blade Runner the next two months. I mean, yeah. so much stuff. So much stuff to look forward to. I just wish that Matt would cheer up and stop being so depressed about everything. I mean, it's like live in the moment all right that's good advice don't live in the past <laughs> all right so follow the show on twitter thanks for listening i'm sure this is like kind of a long one after that social network debacle yeah we, we should wrap it up I, I don't know if we have enough time i'm gonna go ahead and say this keep watching that itunes feed yeah that's all i'm gonna say and until next time we'll see you
something nice on. You look like a busted Daytona stripper in that shit. Fuck you, this is my evening wear. Listen, I don't want no pussy getting wet dresses for this cookout. This needs to be a normal evening outfit that regular people would wear. I'm walking to a fucking hornet's nest, alright? Now be my companion. I need you to make me help them be jealous of me. Now I know you're not a natural beauty, but I think with the right clothes and the right look, you could be very striking. Yeah, and what the fuck do you know? Oh, what do I know? I know that one of us had their own personal stylist, and one of us shoplifts their shit from Fashion Bug. That's what I know. 